You are once again listening to the Bible Brush Up Podcast, and today we are continuing our look at 1 Samuel, and we are once again focusing on the characters of Saul and David. In our last episode, Saul was depicted as a very good guy. In the beginning of our introduction to this character, he is very considerate, he's very compassionate, he is sacrificial. Uh, he stands up for what's right, and he is just all around the kind of guy that you would expect to be a hero in the story. Um, but as the narrative unfolds, we begin to see a transformation in his life, and it's not for the good. It actually is a, an evolution of evil in his life, and is a reminder to everyone listening that uh, we have to be very careful, because uh, until the entire life is complete, uh, we always have that tendency uh, to fail and to be prone to failure if we're not careful. And the Bible warns us, even as New Testament Christians, um, to be careful lest we fall. And so Saul is a good example of this, where even though he started out on the right trail and the right path, he stumbles along the way. And uh, one of the things that causes him to stumble um, is what really can be boiled down to two particular sins. And the first sin was Saul making a burnt offering that he was not authorized to make. There was a, a battle ensuing, and he was very nervous about whether or not they would be able to win the battle. People were starting to leave because they were fearful that Samuel wasn't going to show up. And if Samuel didn't show up and there wasn't a burnt offering to the Lord and the enemy came upon them before that could happen, then they were just going to be ransacked. And so... Now Saul takes it into his own hands. He performs the role of a priest and a prophet on his own, which he is not authorized to do as king. And I think this was the first test that God put before him is, do you view the position of king as being superior to the priesthood, being superior to those prophets who are in the land that are the mouthpiece of God? Or do you view the king uh, position as being subservient to those roles who are op operating on God's behalf? And it seems that Saul views his position as king as being superior or at least equal to them. And so he takes it upon himself to make this burnt offering. And Samuel's very displeased when he shows up. Um, the second thing is that he does not devote all of the Amalekite uh, oxen and sheep and special uh, items to destruction, but rather he keeps some of them for himself and, as he words it in his defense, for sacrifice to God. However, when Samuel shows up, he is very displeased, and God is very displeased, because God had very specifically laid out the instruction that they were to destroy everything— Every single person, every single sheep, every single goat, every single ox, and yet he didn't do that. He kept them, and he said, well, these are for sacrifice. And Samuel responds, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. And he compares this sin uh, to 
the sin of rebellion uh, to the sin of divination. He said, for rebellion is as the sin of divination. Rebelling against what God has clearly stated is just as bad as um, dabbling in the occult and making alliances with demons and dabbling in black magic. It, it's just as evil. And that's what Saul's doing here. He's rebelling against the clear communication of God, and he thinks that he can manipulate God's wrath through the sacrificial process, like it's some kind of magical spell that makes God happy, and that's not the case. God is happy when we as his children obey his word. And if his word tells us to sacrifice, then certainly sacrifice. But here, God did not command that they sacrifice. He commanded that they destroy. So when God says destroy, you destroy. When God says keep alive, you keep alive. And whatever the word of the Lord is, that is what we are commanded to do. And that's what Saul failed to do. And at this point, Samuel communicates that because Saul has rejected the word of the Lord, he has, uh, the, the Lord has also rejected him from being king. Now Saul doesn't like this response and he begs and pleads for Samuel to stay, but Samuel basically makes the point that God is not going to turn back what he has already decreed. He's not going to erase that. So these are the two big sins, and both of them are really sins of disobedience. He knew what he was supposed to do. He knew what his role was, and yet he disobeyed and he rebelled against the clear communicated word of the Lord. And this is going to be uh, what separates him and his kingdom. And it's going to transfer over to King David. And the rest of the next several chapters uh, in the book of First Samuel is a story about how this transfer takes place. And it begins by introducing David as a servant who gets to come into the house of Saul. Because at this point, Saul has been given an evil spirit. An evil spirit. And it says not just that he's been given an evil spirit, but he's been given an evil spirit from the Lord. And this is hard for us to deal with. Well, does God give evil spirits? Uh, but there are a few places in Scripture where I think we can get a better understanding of this. Uh, one of them is if you go back to, um, well, if you move forward to the book of Second Samuel, uh, you get a an example of David numbering the people. And it says in 2 Samuel 24, 1, again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he incited David against them saying, go number Israel and Judah. So 2 Samuel 24 uh, verse 1 says that the Lord incited David against them. But then if you go to 1 Chronicles 21, 1, it's the same story. It says, then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So in 2 Samuel, it's God inciting David to number Israel. And in 1 Chronicles 21, it's Satan. Well, how can these both be? God and Satan are completely two different people. But the Bible makes it clear that Satan can be used by God as a tool. We see this in the book of Job, where Job is um, going to be tested by God through the tribulations that are brought upon him by Satan. Uh, so while Satan's actually doing all this stuff, in the end, it really is revealed that God was in control the entire time, and he used Satan to refine Job. Though Job was not a grotesque sinner of any kind, there was some refining that needed to happen, and so God used Satan for that purpose. Um, Apostle Paul, in the book of 2 Corinthians, I believe it is, he, uh, yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, 
he refers to a thorn in the flesh, which is a messenger of Satan that God is using for his glory. And so while Satan certainly wants to destroy Paul, God is allowing Satan to do something in Paul's life for the greater glory. And I think that's what's happening here. God is allowing Satan to come in and to pester and um, really bring a dark spirit and a dark uh, attitude and personality into the figure of Saul as a response to Saul's disobedience. He has snuffed out the light in his decision-making, and now he is being uh, cursed, in a sense, with this dark spirit. It it comes on him after God's spirit is removed, it says in the, in the text. And so God's spirit goes, an evil spirit comes in, and while it is from God, it most likely is God allowing Satan to come in and to um, pollute the mind of the monarch of Israel. And so this brings in David into the picture. David comes in and becomes a harp player. And of course, this leads eventually to David going to the front lines of battle and combating uh, Goliath. But um, before we talk a little bit about David, I want to finish talking about Saul. Uh, while David is arising as this heroic figure, which we should have expected and anticipated in the story because we already have references in the book of Genesis to how the scepter will never leave Judah. And right now, the scepter of the kingdom is in the hands of a Benjaminite which does not fit the prophecies at all. And so there should be this expectation that it was going to transfer from Benjamin to Judah, which probably leaves you, as the reader, asking some questions. Did he ever have a chance? Did Saul ever have a chance to do the right thing and to, to be good and for the kingdom to stay in his hands? And those are deep theological questions. Um, maybe he never even had a chance. We don't know. Uh, or perhaps maybe he could have chosen to do the right thing and down the road someone else would have failed and it would have transferred to Judah. Um, but these are some of those mysterious questions that work into the divine plan of God and God can see what's happening um, underneath the, the current of human interaction and he is in charge of it all. He is the author of it all. He is uh, sovereign over the affairs of men. And, and all we can do is act and react and respond in a way that is pleasing to him. And uh, when we do not, it certainly works itself into the narrative of God's divine plan. Even when we sin, God's using that in bigger ways. doesn't always work out in our favor as the sinner and the one who is disobedient, uh, which is what happens to Saul. He disobeys, and therefore it works into the plan of God, but not in his favor. He is going to end up um, really suffering at the end of this, and he loses the kingdom in the process. And so Saul goes from this very good guy who takes on this evil spirit, and he, throughout the story, begins to be a liar. He lies about offering his uh, daughter to David in marriage. Uh, furthermore, he tries to kill David on multiple occasions. He tries to 
spear him uh, and pin him against the wall with the spear on two or three times. Uh, he pursues him through the wilderness, trying to kill him with an army. Uh, he sends him out in the lines of battle, trying to get him to die at the hands of the Philistines. Uh, he's very manipulative and tries to destroy this guy who he's jealous of. The whole reason he's wanting to kill David is because of a song that got popular on the charts. The song that da uh, Saul kills his thousands and David kills his tens of thousands. It was a big hit back then. Uh, it played on all the radio stations, but this made Saul jealous and angry because David was more popular than him. And that shouldn't be f uh, for the king. The king should be the most popular, right? Well, that's how he thought because he viewed his role as king as superior to everything else. He had been, become very puffed up and prideful, and it was his downfall. And he ends up even doing something that is crazy. He goes in and kills an entire city of priests because they aid David, even though they had no warning that David was not, you know, serving King Saul. Uh, up till this point, David had been Saul's right-hand man. He's the son-in-law at this point of Saul. David has married Saul's daughter, Michael. And so this priest, he's like, well, why wouldn't I help David? Of course I should help him. I would probably get killed if I didn't help him. He's the son-in-law of the king. And Saul is so mad because he's trying to kill David that he kills this entire city of priests. And what I find very interesting is it points out that he kills all of their sheep and all of their oxen, all of their livestock. It's the very thing that he would not do. Now, these are animals in the city of the priests that are specifically for sacrifice. And yet before in the story, Saul kills all, or he keeps all of the oxen and sheep that aren't for sacrifice, that are supposed to be destroyed. And now he kills all of the sheep and oxen that are supposed to be sacrificed. He has gone 180 and now is doing the complete opposite of what he is supposed to be doing. And this just speaks to how he has snowballed into evil in such a, a great way at this point. Um, now, though, in comparison and contrast to that, we look at David. David is this humble figure. He lives a life of faith, and he is trusted in God to deliver him from many enemies. Well, Lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, he, he's fought all of them, and God has delivered him every time, and he attributes his victory to God, and that is the faith that leads him into the front lines of battle, where he fights for righteousness. He's not fighting for his name. He's not even fighting for his king. He's mad because this Philistine is defying the God of hosts, and he is blaspheming against God's holy name. And David can't stand for that. And so he goes out and he fights and he wins. Um, and so he's willing to sacrifice everything um, because he should not win this battle. Any of the guards of Israel should have been able to handle David, much less this giant Philistine. But David understood something, that he wasn't the one fighting the battle, that God was going to fight this battle, just like he had delivered him from lions, which should be able to devour uh, a young man. But he takes that faith, and he goes out, and he ends up being this very righteous figure who loves the kingdom. He loves the king's family. Him and the king, uh, Saul's son, Jonathan, are best friends, and 
David even marries the son, uh, the the king's daughter, Michael. And so he loves this entire family. He loves the entire kingdom. And he even loves Saul. He will not retaliate against Saul. As Saul tries to kill him and pursues him, we see time and time again that David could take matters into his own hands and kill the king. But here's David's mindset. He says, I will not raise a finger against God's elect. He recognizes the role of king as being a God-appointed position. And David says, I'm not going to be the one who takes Saul out. If God wants him removed from the king, uh, from the seat, the throne, then he's going to have to do it. Now, I'm sure if God had told David and commanded him to strike Saul down, he would have, but he's not communicated that. God has communicated that David will be the next king. He has communicated that Saul will be removed from the kingdom, from the throne. But he hasn't communicated how, and so David is not going to take that into his own hands. And we need to learn from David here. And When God says that he's going to do something, we can't be the sole progenitor of prophecy's fulfillment. We simply have to wait on God to do it. It doesn't mean that we won't play a part, uh, but we've got to be very careful about trying to force God's words to be true. God doesn't need us to force his prophecies to come true. I think at times we've done that with Israel. Uh, we've tried to make Israel into this thing that we expect them to be in the end time. And God doesn't need us. He doesn't need America. He doesn't need any of the nations. If he wants to bring something about, he can bring it about. He doesn't need people to force things into um, this prophetic box that we're, uh, we think that we understand. Because sometimes we don't even understand it properly. And David, he's just waiting on God here. He's waiting on God to see what God's going to do. And God is going to use many different um, scenarios and forces, and he's going to work them all together to bring about what he has prophesied will come true, that David will be the next king and Saul will lose the kingdom. But we'll look more at David in the upcoming days, um, and we'll pick up here next time on the Bible Brush Up Podcast.